This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. I am extraordinarily excited to bring you this because, um, let's see, it is the beginning of September now. Um, the NBA draft has officially been moved back. I think actually, uh, as of uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday, it's going to come to you on Friday. But yeah, I think it became official today. So it's coming um, November 18th, which means we are going to have even more time to process this draft. So I thought that I would start reaching out to folks um who have a little bit more specific familiarity with some of the prospects that may be available to the Knicks at eight, may be available to the Knicks at uh, 27, may be available to the Knicks at uh, 38. Um, and so this is the first of what I hope will be a series of those episodes. Um, so we have uh, I have two guests coming on today. So the first spot you're going to hear is from um, someone who covered Obi Toppin this year at Dayton. David Jablonski of the Dayton Daily News um, has actually covered uh, Toppin for the last several years and got to know him and give some really great stuff. And then after that, uh, Joshua Halleckman, uh, you know him on Twitter as the sports rabbi. He's a good and fun follow, knows all things Israeli sports. He came on to talk a little bit about uh, Denny Avdija and Yamadar, uh, and also actually Amari Stoudemire, who he has actually gotten to know a little bit and shared some great stories. So uh, both of those interviews are coming up. And as always, if you are listening to this podcast and uh, you like this podcast, go ahead and subscribe to it. Or uh, if you have already done that, rate it, review it. Uh, I keep getting these charitable emails with things that people say that are just so incredibly nice and undeserved, but I appreciate it. And I read them and thank you so much. Um, you guys uh, are the absolute best um, is, is all I could say. So thank you. And uh, let's get to the first of those email, uh, eh, the first of those interviews with David Jablonski. Joining me now on the Knicks Film School podcast, uh, someone who has been uh, spending the last two years reporting on um, a figure who I know is of a great deal of interest to many Knicks fans and uh, maybe a great deal of interest more to them uh, come uh, draft night, depending on how things shape shake out. 
um, of the Dayton Daily News, David Jablonski. David, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's start here. Um, Obi Toppin uh, arrived at Dayton um, two years ago now. He's obviously a little bit older. He's already 22. Um, and I, I, I don't think there was well let me ask you what was the expectation or or what was the feeling like when he first got there as far as what kind of a player that he was going to be well it was actually three years ago more than three years ago now because it was um may of 2017 that he committed to dayton uh, a couple months after anthony grant uh got the head coaching job when archie miller left for indiana and uh, obi was grant's second recruit jalen crutcher who's still on the team and entering the senior year was the first recruit um as far as new guys that they recruited, they had some guys who Archie recruited who ended up sticking with Anthony and his new coaching staff. But those were the first two new guys. So, you know, when Obi committed, there you know there wasn't a, a big buzz or anything. He was an unranked recruit, no stars. Um, you know, there were some other you know, strong programs going after him. It was obvious that he was a, a late bloomer, but uh, nobody really knew what they were getting in him. Uh, just that he had good size and uh, athleticism and uh, was going to be an older guy because. He went to a prep school for a year at Mount Zion after graduating from high school. So, uh, you know, there was a chance he was going to contribute right away, but he didn't. He didn't get a chance to because he, uh, he redshirted that first season um, as an academic redshirt. So um, he was on campus for, you know, more than a year before he ever uh, played in a, a real official game for uh, for Dayton. So he, he has that redshirt year. Um, and then I think he, you know, he was a name – to watch throughout his first year playing for the team. Um, but as that first year was going by, did did you have any sense that the, what we just saw, you know, out of him in his second year with the team was was on its way? Or did, did what we just saw kind of, you know, did it take some folks by surprise? The buzz did start building a little bit during his uh, redshirt year. Um, Anthony Grant said a lot of good things about Obi's demeanor on the bench, cheering for his teammates, you know, what he was doing in practice. But, you know, you can never take too much from those kind of comments. Everybody always gets good buzz uh, when they're not playing. Almost everybody in the offseason, there's always optimism surrounding new guys. So uh, you don't want to take that, you know, too seriously, but you don't want to discount it either. Um, So, yeah, it was building then. But then right before his uh, uh, redshirt freshman year, a couple of months before he was going to, you know, play in his first game, there was that uh, that video uh, making the rounds on Twitter of him playing against some NBA guys in the, in New York City in a gym, dunking, looking really good. Um, again, but that was pickup basketball. How much do you really want to take from that? But uh, the buzz was already building then, and then, you know, right from the beginning of his freshman year, with all the dunks and the big games, even though he wasn't starting, uh, you could really see the potential there, and. Um, he came on really strong in the second half of his first season uh, and earned all A-10 honors, rookie of the year honors, uh, something that no Dayton player had ever done. So, uh, yeah, there was a there was a huge buildup. And so it was no surprise how big of a season he had this past season. But, of course, it was a surprise that he won the national player of the year. Nobody would have predicted that uh, coming out of the A-10 in Dayton. Yeah, so, I mean, you guys were, were 21 and 12 during his first year. And like you said, he was coming off the bench. He put up, you know, I think it was like 14 and 6. So, you know, good, good numbers. But, um, you know. I personally, you know, I don't follow the draft that closely when it's more than a year away from you know, when a guy's going to come out. But then to come out and do what he did this year, um, how do you think 
the attention and the notoriety and everything, um, do you think that had an effect on him as, as this year was happening? He did a great job handling. That was one of the big questions uh, Anthony Grant had uh, going into last season, just uh, you know how Obi's head was going to be. Is he, was he ready for that extra attention, the extra pressure, uh, the big moments? But, boy, he really stepped up uh, at every occasion. Didn't really had a – have too many games off. Uh, he was really consistent. Um, you know, the fans were always chanting at him as they do, you know, when you're such a high profile player, but he handled that really well. I think maybe I only saw it get to him once at UMass. Um, but, uh, and for the most part, he was stepped up and rose to the challenge every time, hit some really big shots, uh, sent a game to uh, overtime against Colorado uh, with a last second three after missing a three in the previous possession. They ended up losing that game. It was one of their only two losses, but still a big moment for him. You know, the Maui Invitational, too. I mean, all the spotlight on him and Dayton, and he was really uh, um, ready for that uh, that stage. Uh, scored like the first 10, 12 points or something in the first game against Georgia when uh, Georgia had the you know the big freshman. Sure, yeah. And, uh, and uh, had a really good game in the second game. And, you know, it wasn't didn't have as big a game against Kansas, but more than held his own. Uh, against some of the top players in the country, against one of the top teams in the country, in a game that Dayton led by you know eight or something with like six minutes left before uh, losing in overtime. So, yeah, it was an amazing season from a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, so uh, it's funny. I actually went back and watched the Kansas game, and uh, he had some um, good, you know, back and forth with um, uh, Kansas's big man, their their center, who's probably going to wind up being you know a second round pick. I, I do not want to mispronounce his name. I, I think it's just Azubuki, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it sounds about right. Um, you know, Azubuki's a big boy, um, and he backed him down. You know, a couple times late in that game. I, getting more, I guess, to the to the basketball side of it. Do you have any sense, or have you guys gotten any sense there as to what? Obi thinks he is going to be at the next level. Like, has he talked at all about like I, you know, maybe I'm going to be a small ball five, or does he, you know, is he looked at strictly as like, you know, a stretch? Well, not really a stretch four because he does a lot of his work in the paint. But do you have any sense of like how he sees himself as an NBA player? I don't know how he sees himself. Remember, our season got cut off. That's, that's fair. Yeah. So some of the best interview opportunities uh, come in the NCAA tournament or the A-10 tournament, and we missed out on all that. You know, not that we didn't talk to Obi a lot during the season, but that NBA question, we never really got to because, you know, it would have been a question, uh, you know, when we had more time in the postseason. It wouldn't have been a huge focus because Dayton was playing so well, and you don't want to put the attention too much on on the future sure uh, and it was obvious he was leaving anyway it's not like he needed to answer that question and also i haven't talked to him since the season ended he, he didn't get back to me right after the, the season i talked to his uh his godfather victor who's really close to him um, i'm gonna reach out to Obi here soon hopefully and uh, hopefully get an interview with him uh, before the draft uh, but he hasn't done a whole lot of interviews i think maybe with espn a couple times so i'm not 100 sure what he feels like he can do but i think he feels like he can do a little bit of everything uh certainly shooting outside the three-pointer uh, he really um, was solid his first season. Uh, didn't shoot the ball much from the three-point line, but made him at a you know r- real high percentage and increased his uh, three-point shooting this year, but still shot the ball well. So that was a good sign for him. Um, and go inside and out. Uh, I'm sure he knows he needs to work on his ball handling and his defense, but uh, he's a guy that can can really do it all and get down the court. Um, you know, follow up baskets. Had a real knack of. Uh, you know, rebounding shots and then dunking them home, um, especially his first season. I didn't see as much this past season, but 
maybe that was just getting more attention. Also, one of the Dayton's biggest go-to plays was him just streaking down the court and catching long passes and dunking. So he, <laughs> he I gotta tell you, rebounds. as far as getting down the court, I mean, that's the thing. You know, the games that I've watched of his, he likes to run. It seems like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast breaks uh, were uh, bread and butter for Dayton, uh, uh, and just uh, you know, really good motor and uh, a guy who. Uh, He's not going to shy away from the attention either. Well, so you, you mentioned not going to shy away from the attention. Um, you know, there's some different teams that have already been, I don't want to say linked to him, but I mean, he's been mocked anywhere from, you know, the Bulls to the Hawks to obviously the Cavs um, and uh, and the Knicks. Uh, some people have, have him falling into aid. And um, do you, and again, I know you didn't get a chance to ask him the NBA questions, but... Do you think a guy like him would do well in a, a major media market like this? Or do you think, you know, going more to the hometown team, you know, from at least where Dayton is close to in Cleveland would be more, you know, his uh, his cup of tea? I think he'd do great in a big media market. New York is hometown, um, born and raised in Brooklyn, even though he uh, graduated from Austin High School north of the city. Um, he, I think he considers Brooklyn as his hometown and, you know, they got to play there at the Barclays Center his, uh, his redshirt freshman year, and that's where they were when everything got canceled in March. Uh, they just arrived on Wednesday night when the A-10 tournament kicked off. They were scheduled to play on Friday, so you know I don't even think they got to practice in on Thursday before they headed back to the airport, and that's when they found out everything got canceled. Um, so, yeah, New York's his hometown, so you know going to the Knicks, <laughs> despite their uh, troubles in the recent years or decades or whatever you want to say. It's, it's, it's sure decades. It's, it's multiple decades, yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point, yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I'm I'm well familiar with uh, struggling franchises being from Cincinnati, so I oh, have my sympathy. There you go. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm sure. Despite that, he would I'm sure in L play in his hometown would be pretty cool for him. Um, but uh, he'll he'll any situation is going to be fine. I don't know. I'm sure for any player you know, going to a solid franchise, a consistent winner would be the best. But uh, you know, you know. He, that's a good trade-off getting to play in your hometown. Not many people get to do that. Um, yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I think it's it. You never know because you know sometimes guys come come back to New York like yeah. and it, like Joakim Noah that the the whole uh, too too lit for New York that didn't work out so well. So I, you know, it's a good transition to to finishing up with with this. Um, you, you look draft people can watch all the tape and you know diagnose this and that about a player's game but i think you know when you cover when you cover a guy every day you know or, or basically every day you, you just kind of get a better sense of him what you know can you it, it's a little bit general but i'll, I'll ask it anyway what kind of guy is obi Toppin in, in in your opinion like i you know in terms of do you think he has what it takes to be a successful professional athlete and, and all that that entails? Well, from my perspective, he was a, a dream to work with. Very unique uh, in that he would, uh, you know, he didn't look at you just as a sports writer trying to get information. Uh, he would always ask about my uh, my kid, my two-year-old. Uh, uh, I told this story a couple times in interviews, but uh, when my son was three months old, I brought him to interviews at UD for um, just for fun. Um, I was had babysitting duties and interviews kind of <laughs> coincided with them. And, you know, he's awesome. young enough. You can just sit him on the side in the, the stroller and, uh, you know, he'd be fine. And we're doing interviews and I turn around and Obi and Jalen Crutcher are making, uh, are playing peekaboo with him. <laughs> uh, and I guess, uh, <laughs> Jalen, his mom said he loves kids and I guess same with Obi. And so, you know, a year later, we, 
go with the family, me and my wife and the kid to uh, the game at St. Joseph's because they had two games in four days there. So we all went and uh, that was an afternoon game. So the the 18 month old could go and we're, I'm just carrying him around the arena, walking by, showing him the sights and Obi sees him and kind of asked, how's he doing? And you want, obviously he wanted like a picture with him. So I was like, sure, you know, this will be a great memory keeper for, uh, for chase someday. And so we got a nice photo of him and, you know, I've been around a ton of athletes, college, pro, whatever high school. And it's very rare for, uh, for guys to have that kind of, uh, demeanor with, with sports writers. And, uh, so he's very media friendly and a great, great personality for fans. The fans loved him. Um, you know, saw him signing autographs a lot, just interacting with fans quite a bit. Um, so whoever gets them is going to get not only a great player, but a great guy. Well, that's good to know. And I'm, I'm happy for whatever team, um, does end up with it. Maybe it'll be the Knicks. Um, very last one, not about Obi, but just about, about you. You have a book out, um, in which you wrote about this season. Um, 29 and 2, the story of the 2019-20 Dayton Flyers. Um, I, so I, I'm just curious, what, what was it like writing a book about a season that was cut short and how, you know, not to end on a, on a sour note, but like how disappointed are you that you didn't get to see this thing through and, and see this team go to the, go to the big dance? <laughs> well, it was more like a book I compiled because I just used the stories that I wrote last season and I was at every game. So I, and I shoot photos too. So, uh, you know, I have the unique opportunity to put the book together. It's just all my stuff and it's a ton of, ton of photos, especially in the, the larger version. I made, uh, three different versions so people could, uh, pay whatever they wanted to pay. Um, a big book because they're big coffee table books. They look great on a coffee table book, but the way I made it self publishing it through uh, blurb.com, they're, they're way more expensive than a normal book, but you know, some people have been willing to pay for it. We've sold like 300 or so. So been really happy with the response. Um, and I just felt like a season like that historic season needed, needed a, a special memento. I mean, so much these days is done online and you know, we did some, some news, some uh, posters in the paper and stuff like that in a special section, but still, uh, this is a great, great keepsake. And, um, there's a whole extra chapter on Obi in the big book. So, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I don't know if his mom ended up ordering one or not, but uh, hopefully, <laughs> well, hopefully if she didn't, she should, hopefully eventually he gets his own, his own copy. Cause, uh, it's a great keepsake of his year. Yeah. Of his amazing year at UD. Uh, but yeah, it was certainly bittersweet. I mean, I'm a UC Bearcat fan and all season long I was comparing, um, this season to Cincinnati season in 2000 when, when Kenya Markham sure. broke his leg and that, that great season was, uh, you know, they never found out what they could do. And I never said that publicly cause I didn't want Kenyon being compared to Obi and then somebody saying I jinxed him when he broke his leg or something. Uh, but then <laughs> it's just a smart move. <laughs> it was incredibly how similar, uh, in the fact that, you know, two of the greatest regular seasons in both of those schools histories. And, um, you know, neither got to really do anything. Well, Dayton didn't even get to play in the postseason and UD or UC never, uh, got to play with their star. So, um, you know, it's, it's a great season with a, a, uh, terrible ending, but, um, you know, a lot of good memories for Dayton fans for sure. Uh, I don't think they would have won at all. I mean, I don't think there was any team other than Kansas that you would have placed a lot of money on this season. It was just so wide open. Um, we know just how hard it is to win six games in a row, but they could have, and that's going to always be the big question mark. Um, just getting to the final four would have been a huge achievement for the program. Um, and, uh, you know, in some ways, you know, the fact that they never even got the chance, you know, it does make the season all the more famous, but, you know, for, for the wrong reasons, you still want that chance. 
Well, 29 and 2 is still pretty damn good. And uh, you got to cover it. And uh, the book looks really, really cool. Um, I would implore any college basketball fan to take a look at that, which is it could be found on your Twitter page. So I guess the, before I get you out of here, can you tell folks at home where they could find you and uh, and your stuff? Yeah, David P. as in Patrick Jablonski. Um, should be pretty easy to find. There are a few David Jablonskis out there, but uh, that's my Twitter and Instagram handles. And yeah, the pinned tweet, you can find the links to how to order the book. So uh, it'll be up pretty much forever. I don't think there's any, uh, I don't think they take it down ever. So it <laughs> yeah. becomes famous. Uh, well, he's already famous, but if he makes it in the NBA, uh, you know, maybe it'll be a thing people can order in years to come. I, I listen. I think he's he's certainly got the offensive game, um, and it sounds like he, like you said he's a good kid. So um, I, I would not put it past him to to make something himself uh, at the next level. Um, David, thank you so much for taking a few minutes of your time to join us. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And and uh, best of luck covering college basketball when it All right. when it's back. <laughs> Go go Knicks! I'm I'm a, I'm a free agent NBA fan. I don't have my own team, so uh, you got some uh, time to still impress me, Knicks fan. Knicks. <laughs> Maybe this is the year that we start impressing people. You never know. <laughs> I can't be any worse than rooting for the Bengals. <laughs> I think that's fair. All right, Dave. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate the time, man. See you later. Be well. All right, that was a fun conversation about Obi Toppin. Uh, we are about to get to. The next interview with Joshua Halleckman. But before we do, hey, week two of the NFL is coming up very soon. A couple days. You know what that means. It's winning season. And where does winning season take place? My bookie. So my bookie means doubling your first deposit. It means props. It means bonuses. It means cross sport wages. If you want to, um, you know, maybe cross a NFL bet with uh, something from one of the conference finals in the NBA that's also coming up uh, or is being played right now, I should say. Um, so, again, the name of the game is my bookie. If you want to get in on the action with my bookie, here's what you're going to do. You're going to use a promo code overtime. That's O V E R T I M E. And what is that going to happen? If you do, you are going to double your first deposit. So new players, you put in that promo code and you get up to a thousand dollars in free play. So obviously this is designed to add even more excitement to the sports that you love and the games that you love to bet. So you could bet the NFL. Like I said, you could bet baseball. You could bet hockey. You could bet, obviously, basketball. Use the promo code overtime. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 in free play. And if you've been listening to the last few episodes, you know this, but I'm going to say it one more time. We are giving away $500 cash to one lucky person who takes advantage of this offer. So when you make your first deposit, if you haven't already done so, come on. It's week two of the NFL. This is a great time. Overreaction time. You can take advantage of these lines. Take a screen grab of your MyBookie account and email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. So one last time, use the promo code OVERTIME. You're going to take a screen grab and you're going to email a picture of that screen grab to OVERTIME at advertisecast.com. And 500 bucks will be given away at the end of September. And with that said, let us get to my interview with the Sports Rabbi. 
All right. I am very pleased to bring to the Knicks Film School podcast right now. First time guest, but someone uh, that does fantastic work. Um, he is the coverer of all things Israeli sports and a lot more. Um, you can find him on Twitter at the sports rabbi or sportsrabbi.com. Josh Halleckman. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the program. How are you? Pleasure. How are you doing there, Jonathan? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's... Uh, it's been a little tough sledding over here for, for Nick fans because obviously, um, the season ended in, in March and we thought maybe we'd get the draft in, you know, uh, the original date and that didn't happen and then pushed to October and now it looks like it's not going to be till November. So, uh, there's been a lot of time for a lot of Nick fans to get excited about, um, prospects all throughout the draft because they have a pick early, they have a pick kind of in the middle and then they have a pick in the second round as well. Um, so uh, that's why I thought it would be great to spend a couple of minutes talking about a few of those guys now. Um, so I guess before we get into to Denny and, and Yem, um, why don't you just uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what you do as far as covering uh, sports over in Israel? All right. I've been in Israel for about 16 years. I moved here uh, from New York in 2004. been covering Israeli sports literally since I arrived. Uh, I go to practices. I live in Jerusalem. So basketball and soccer are the two main sports here primarily soccer but basketball is pretty important Maccabi Tel Aviv is one of the big teams obviously in Europe and, and well known around the world um, I've been just covering sports you know up and down and all around from uh, the Jerusalem Post as well sportsrabbi.com I try to bring Israel to people outside of the country as well and, and what's going on on here in Israeli sports, we ha- we do have a great Israeli basketball league. There are so many former NBA players. There are former college greats. If you're talking about Deshaun Butler, you talked about Amari Stoudemire as uh, some of the greats. And you have some great prospects like Denny Avdia, Yamadarn. Those are some things that we get really excited about being able to cover sports here and having the opportunity to do that, especially a guy like Denny Avdia for the past, you know, since he was 15 years old and uh, seen him play over 100 times. It's just you know, one of the great things about living here and, uh, you know, just having a great time seeing what happens on and off of the field is uh, just a ball of fun. I, I imagine it is. And it, you know, it's I think it's tough for because, you know, here in America, we have the whole AAU circuit and there's kind of an understanding that the best prospects kind of shuttle through in, in the more traditional ways. And occasionally you'll get someone that's, you know, kind of comes out of nowhere a little bit like uh, John Morant, you know, was probably the best recent example, but there's other ones. And I think it's so different over there that maybe some fans here don't understand. Well, you know, there you're playing in the pros since, uh, you know, as you just said, you've been covering Denny since he was um, whatever, 15 or 16 years old. Um, so I, what do you think, I guess I'll start here. What do you think is like the biggest difference between how the kids are, I don't know, say brought up over there and in, in the basketball world, as opposed to the way things happen here? Yeah. I mean, well, there's no college system. So that kind of eliminates, you know, at least, you know, one to four years of a player uh, where they can grow. Uh, so instead of growing with players in their own age group, most of them are, are growing, like you said, in the pros. And you're part of a – usually what happens is if you're a youngster, you sign up with a team if you're six, seven, eight, and you play in their youth system. So you become property of that team. And they'll be playing against your same age group. If you're part of the bigger teams like Maccabi Tel Aviv, you may also have some international tournaments or European tournaments to go to, uh, which also gives those players a lot of experience. You could have like Junior EuroLeague, for example, which uh, Denny played in, uh, um, Denny Avdia, of course. But again, it's very different, and you start 
you know, you may be on the younger junior national teams at, you know, under 15, under 16, under 17, under 18, under 19, under 20. Uh, but at the same time, and you are traveling abroad, but you're only, you have to be the best of the best in the cream of the crop, both in Israel or in one of the other European countries. So that is, you know, that's your kind of experience playing against players your own age. And then all of a sudden, if you're, you know, kind of good enough as a 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old, you may already be playing and practicing with the top team. So if you're Denny Avdia, we got to see him play and practice as a 16, 17 year old with, you know, guys that are 25, 30, 35 years old who are, you know, played in, in the pros all around Europe or in the NBA, played in the college circuit, that have had years of experience, it could have been in the G League, and you're, you're seeing a player come in that isn't physically at the level that these guys are, they're grown men, and you're like a 16, 17 year old, your body's still filling out. There's, you know, like an Omri Caspi, for example. When yeah. I remember him playing in Israel, you know, his body, once he went to the NBA, totally changed within a year. I mean, he just became much more, his frame filled out, his muscle tone uh, was worked on. And, and we got to see that a little bit with Denny Avdia during the coronavirus break, which was, when the league stopped in March, we got to see him work on that. When he came back in June, there was, you could see a huge difference in his body because he actually had time to work on that. So I was about to bring that up because I think going into the shutdown, he was, you know, in certainly in the top 10 conversation, I think. But I think there was maybe a little bit more of a range in terms. And also, obviously, the lottery hadn't happened yet. So we should throw that in. But I think there was a little bit more of a range. And now um, it seems like almost that there's a, a not 100 percent consensus, but it seems like you got your top three guys with, with Ball and Wiseman and Anthony Edwards. And it seems like people are starting to slot Denny into that fourth slot to Chicago. I've, I've seen a few other mocks where maybe he drops a little bit further. Um, I'll just, I, I mean, I know you're, you're obviously familiar with, with all the guys that are up there. Cause I know you follow this stuff closely. Where do you think he should rank? I mean, having covered him for as long as you have, you know, listen, I'm, I'm going to support the Israeli guy. So I say, yeah, you should go. Number one. Right. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll make the case. As this, and I think I already made it. He is playing and has played against adults over the last, you know, couple of years, especially this past season. He played serious minutes in the Israeli league. And people are going to say, yeah, the Israeli league, it's not one of the top leagues. Spanish league is better. Italian league is better. That's all true. But when you're playing over 30 minutes a game, or, you know, roughly 30, you win the MVP. And people said, oh, he won the MVP because the league wanted to promote him. That is not true. If you look at his numbers across the board, he has some crazy plus-minus amount. He, he leads the league in that. He is by far one of the best scorers in the league. Was one of the best defenders in the league, and he's playing against solid players. Don't you know? Don't put that aside. He's playing against guys that played in the NBA, guys that have played in the G League, guys that have played all over Europe. It's a tough, physical men's grown men's basketball league. So that's a huge accomplishment right off the bat. Uh, then you add in the Euro League, which I would have loved to see him play one more year in the Euro League. Like if he if he could play this year in the Euro League, he would be a much more dominating factor. He did not, 
have a dominant career in the EuroLeague because he really only started getting minutes this year. Okay. And he only really started getting the serious minutes in the EuroLeague in the second half, you know, starting in January, February, due to injuries. And he really played well, other than, you know, people are going to point out to the big posterized dunk over Gigi Datome in Fenerbahce in Turkey is a big moment for him. But it was more than that. It was him closing down Shane Larkin on the last play of a game here right before the coronavirus break. It was just him going in there and understanding what to do, how to take on guys one-on-one, how to stop certain uh, offensive uh, moves, uh, learning under a coach like Yanis Faropoulos, who uh, is just one of the best coaches in Europe today. He's a little over 50 years old, coached uh, Olympiacos to two Final Fours. Uh, you know, the experience you're getting here is just by far different than an experience that an Anthony Edwards is going to get, a James Wiseman is going to get, even LaMelo Ball, because his time in, uh, you know, in the Australian League was was very limited. It, yeah, I mean, very, how was, many games did he actually play? It was, I think, about 20 games. It was not a lot. Right. It was not a lot. You're talking about Denny this year played uh, 35, 40 games league, you know, the, you know, probably played around 60 70 something games and he came back after the break he didn't have to come back after the break many people in the state said wow denny you know he he just has to close it down and why risk injury he wanted to play he wanted to move up his he wanted to win the israeli championship he wanted to go out a winner here and that was important to him and we got to see a a very much developed Denny Avdia, yes, people are going to complain about his free throw shooting. Yes, they're going to say his shot, you know, could be improved. And yes, they're going to say there were certain games he was shut down. But you know what? When the chips are on the table, he makes his free throws. He knows how to take the bull by the horns. We saw it in the playoffs. He came off of a brutal game two and a best of three against the Paul Tel Aviv, which is a big, you know, one of the big rivalry teams here from Maccabi Tel Aviv. And he came into game three and was the star of the show, him along with Tyler Dorsey. You know, Tyler Dorsey played, you know, in the NBA played with Amari Stoudemire this year. Played in the NBA. Uh, was not just not only played in the NBA. Was six time All Star. <laughs> yeah, so a few, a few uh, of those uh, here in New York. You know, yes, you're talking about guys. They're getting. Yeah, you know, they're he's he's learning from All Stars. Now you're not getting that experience. You you are getting some of that experience in college. Don't get me wrong, but it's totally different when you're going up against top guys. If it's Jan Wesley, if it's Gigi Tatomi. These are top players in Europe who were, you know, players in the NBA. Uh, and yes, the NBA is a better league. We all know that. But to me, uh, I would have no frets taking Danny Avdia. He has certainly is a safe pick because you know what you're getting. Not only is he, in my opinion, going to be a top-notch player, he's also a top, top-notch mensch. He's just a good guy. He was raised properly, Jonathan. He was raised well. He comes from an excellent family. The parents did not interfere with his development. They let him do what he had to do. He was raised well. And that is, you're getting a player, anybody that's taking him is getting a player that will never, ever cause you a problem. The only problem he will cause you is that he always wants to win. And he gets ticked off if he doesn't. And so it's interesting because that brings up a couple of things in my mind. One is obviously the on court, like what kind of a player he's going to be at the next level, because I think actually it's interesting. 
you know, when his name first started to surface over here, you know, over a year ago, I think people instantly went to the Luca comps and there, I think that helped him initially generate some interest. And then I actually think it's been the opposite effect because people are now saying, oh, well, he's, you know, don't, if you draft him, don't think that you're getting Luca, which is unfair because there's only one Luca Doncic, obviously. Um, and I think it's almost gone too much in the other direction where people aren't appreciating you know, the playmaking that he could bring from that, from that position. So I guess b- before we get to the, the off court stuff, cause I'm interested in that too. Do, do you think he is the type of guy who is capable of, of maybe, I don't want to say putting a team on his back and being like that, you know, the engine that makes the team go, but how, how big a role do you think he sees himself having at the next level in the NBA? Uh, he wants to be a star. <laughs> There's no question. He wants to be a star. He wants to be a leader. And I think that is what a team like Chicago sees, uh, especially with the new management. Uh, you're also, you know, heavy on the European side, obviously. Mark Eversley coming in as GM has has scouted Deddy in the past. I'm here in Israel when he was here for a basketball without borders camp. Got to spend some time with him. He's going to be a leader. He will take a team on his back. Um, you know, again, it may take him a year or two to get into that. You know, guy's going to come into the NBA. It's a different ball game. There's, you know, he's going to have to adjust to playing 82 games a year. Um, he's going to have to adjust to a new home, a new city, a new culture. Uh, even though he speaks English fluently, grew up in a very westernized country here in Israel. Uh, you know, it's, it's different. <laughs> There's no question. Uh, he's traveled sure, plenty, yeah. but it's going to be a challenge for him. So you can't expect him to be. That, you know, that big star, you know, day one. But I can guarantee you, knowing him as well as I do, he wants to be a leader. He wants to be an all-star. He wants to get better every single day. And he's going to put that effort in every single minute that he has a chance to do so. So, again, that's another big point. If I'm a team that's looking to take Denny, I'm getting a guy that's mature. I'm getting an adult. I'm not getting our college guys Right. competitive basketball and that's a big thing that also teams have to take into account here um uh, there's a lot of intangibles that he has and he took he listen he won the mvp and the under 20 european championship this past uh, summer in, in 2019 uh, he led israel was the mvp was the leader of the team he won it the year before that as well he was on the under 20 team as like a 17 year old uh, and he was named to the top five of the tournament. So in his own age group, he dominates. There's no question he dominates. He's an excellent player. He's a, I mean, I've I was hoping that maybe the Knicks would be in a position to draft him. It, it, as you mentioned, Chicago, that's where people have him going. Um, who knows, you know, if, if there's going to be any attempts to trade up to, to get him, I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard a lot about their interest in him specifically here. Um, that said, you know, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Hawks, um, the Pistons, the Knicks, all of the teams that, you know, unless he goes top three, one of those are probably going to end up with him have not been the best situation. Well, maybe he does go top three. Who knows? I mean, I, I shouldn't assume that because we've seen surprises before. Um, Personally, I, th- I wouldn't be shocked if Wiseman falls, but I, you know, what do I know? Um, in any case, those are, and even, but even Minnesota and Charlotte, these are not great situations. I think you kind of answered the question already that I was going to ask you, which is that, do you think he's going to mind going into a situation that is maybe historically, you know, not been so great over the last few years? It sounds like he's the guy that, you know, kind of wants to come in and change that, which is nice to hear. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and I think another point that, 
has to be made with Danny. Uh, if, and I'll say this, the Golden State Warriors scouted him heavily. Now, they, were in, they sent people to Israel a number of times. Uh, the last time they were here was at the end of February. I actually met, uh, met some of the guys in, uh, in an Olympiacos game in Greece, in Athens. The week before they came to Israel, they were, they were uh, checking out Theo Maladon, who was playing with Asphel, who, you know, who may obviously be a potential for the Knicks down, you know, down the road at yeah. some point in the, in the draft. Same thing with maybe. Killian Hayes. Yeah. I got to see him. Yeah, uh, that's where he could, he could end up going. Killian Hayes, I saw him play as well. Uh, one time live, at least this past year. Uh, but, you know, they are very high on him, extremely high on him, the Golden State Warriors are. Now, I could see a situation where there's going to be some trades, there could be some movement. Uh, don't be surprised if something happens. Um, I would not be shocked to see Golden State try to get their hands on him and move down uh, doing it as well. I would not be surprised. I, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know how much you've gotten a chance to watch the, the playoffs. I look at the way the game is being played right now. And I've been talking about this a lot on this podcast. So, you know, my listeners are probably like, shut up already. Um, but uh, you know, you get a big, you know, he's how tall is he now? He's six foot nine. Uh, yeah, can, six nine. can handle he, the ball. He's a real six nine. Yeah, he's he, a real six, he looks, you know, six, seven. yeah, he, he looks the part. I mean, he's got the size. He's got the ball handling. I, I personally believe in the shot, as I think you do, too. Um, these are the types of guys that are playing 30, 35 minutes a night in the playoffs nowadays. So um, I, I it would not shock me if, um, you know, a smart team like the Warriors went after him. I hope the Knicks could be smart and maybe make a play to move up. Him and him and Hayes have been, you know, kind of my guys from the beginning. I, I at this point. If either of them fell, I'd, I'd be ecstatic. A guy that the Knicks are definitely going to be in a position to draft, should they want. Um, they they pick 38th. He's slated in most mocks to go a little lower, but you never know. Is ya, I want to pronounce his name right. Yamadar, right? Did I get that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yam Madar. Yeah. Yam Okay. So same age as Denny. I think within a few weeks of each other, uh, birthday wise. Um, raised some eyebrows here in August because he signed with CAA, who, you know, the former head of CAA basketball is obviously not running the Knicks. He checks a lot of boxes. Um, defensively, I, I, I Everything I see of him, I mean, he's not perfect. He's, you know, some some things to clean up, but he's a guy that you want on the floor, I think, on the defensive end. And then he's shown flashes of all of the other things that you want a point guard to do on the offensive end of the floor. Um, what's your take on on Yem? I love him. I, mean, I, th- I think he could be an excellent uh, player in the NBA. Again, he still needs time uh, to work, you know, himself. His body is like Reggie Miller's. Uh, he is like this a lot, you know. He's no, his body's like I know you Nick fans don't want to hear it, but hey, listen, <laughs> Reggie was a day killed us a lot, so it's it, it'd be nice if we had someone like that on our team. So it's fine. Listen, I, I'm a former Nick season ticket holder, so I know okay. all about the Knicks. Uh, I there know you all go. about the Knicks uh, during the uh, you know mid mid nineties to the mid two thousand and you know four season or so. So that's that's when I used to hang out of the garden all the time. But Yamadar is like a to me a Reggie Miller clone in a lot of aspects. He shoots the same way, defends the same way, he's a pain in the butt the same way. His body is rubber. Uh, you know, if you knock him down he's gonna get bounce right back up. He doesn't care what people think of him around him. He does what he has to do. He's very good friends with Denny. Uh, he's a gamer. He wants to be on the court. He wants to play. He wants to win. 
he has an you know good shot. He has good vision. It's another thing with Danny. Danny has amazing vision on the court. Uh, but Yama has very good vision. Uh, he's really a true point guard. He can take the game on his shoulders if he has to. Meaning, if he sees that his guys just aren't you know playing well, he's going to just you know he's going to just take it. He's going to take the ball to the hole. He doesn't care. He'll get knocked down twenty times in the paint. Uh, he's moved around agencies, like you mentioned. He was with Octagon. He went to CAA, which definitely raised some eyebrows and raised the stock right away because he was hovering around 100, say, <laughs> I, about uh, three months ago. Which, which frankly, I never stuff. got. And, and I, look, I'm not an expert when it comes to draft stuff. I'll be the first to admit that. But, I, I you know, it seems like there's this, like, top 40-ish and then there's a then there's a little bit of a drop off, but you know you see guys, some of the college guys who have, in my estimation, more limited ceilings go, you know, being mocked, you know, 15, 20 spots ahead of him. And I I, just, I don't get it because I what I see of the guy is again long way to go, but the but the flashes are there. So I, I yeah I don't I never got how he ranks so low because you know why because they the the, the guys that do the mock drafts never really saw him. Who's the only person that saw him? Really, really saw him. It's Mike Schmitz. Mike Schmitz has been to Israel numerous times. He really caught his eye. Uh, Yamadar caught Mike Schmitz's eye during the under-20 tournament last year in the summer. And I got to sit with Mike numerous times uh, during that tournament itself. Caught his eye, and he started writing up, well, Yamadar really has it. So that's really when he finally kind of, you know, somebody saw him. And then Mike Schmitz did a special feature on him. Uh, so that kind of started moving him. He never really played in European basketball, meaning Denny Avdia played in EuroLeague because of Maccabi Tel Aviv. Paul Tel Aviv has not played in Europe. Right now, Yamadar came back. He was in Las Vegas for a little bit working out, just came back, and he's playing back again with Paul Tel Aviv. He was named captain of the team, and they are going to be playing in a, a pre uh, a, a qualification tournament to get into what's called the Basketball Champions League group stage. Ages. So that, which is huge for the team, and that comes up in about 10 days or so. So that's oh, wow. going to be okay. huge for the team. If they can advance to that, and and they want to get into that because it's going to give Yum more playing time. And that's the key because not only does he have to play more than once a week, because really most of the domestic leagues in Europe are only playing once a week, they also need to play in European competition. He desperately needs it. And Paul Tel Aviv is going to make every single effort effort to make sure they get into a, that European competition because they know they a they want to they want to keep them they don't want to lose them because if say they don't make it into the European competition I could see them actually trying to sell him or loaning him to a uh, to a team that is going to be playing in a European competition so he gets more playing time I can't see I can't see CAA allowing him to just play once a week I, I just don't see it not at this stage of the game he needs to get playing time in. So I'm going to I'm going to get myself into trouble here before I I move on and finish up. So he signed with CAA again, mock draft writers don't, you know, only (laughs) they know what they're doing to a certain extent. But I I agree. Like you, I think he'll, he'll teams will be interested in him higher at the end of the first round. That said, do you think he is the the type of kid that, you know, if it gets towards the end and, you know, maybe they want him in a place like New York um, and, and I have, I listen, I have no idea if that's the case, but I'm just throwing something out there, which obviously if he goes undrafted, he could, you know, sign a contract with them, um, without having to deal with, with anything else. Um, do you think he's would, you know, th- not, I don't want to say threaten, but say, well, you know what, if 
team X, whatever the Hornets or the Pacers or something drafts me, I'm just going to keep playing over here and I'm not going to come over. Or do you think he is more, he's set at this point, like I want to get to the NBA as soon as possible. He wants to get to the NBA. I mean, clearly the, so he was with Octagon, which is a very big European agency. When, when we saw him sign with CAA, it's clear his goal is the NBA. There's no question. Uh, people have seen him enough to know that he has the, the potential uh, again, I think Mike Schmitz to me is one of the leading authorities in uh, you know draft prospects, and uh, and again you know he he had he Mike Schmitz is an expert in this. I'm not, so I, I can tell you I'm going to root for Yamadar every <laughs> which way. I think he's going to keep move. I think he's going to keep moving up that ladder. He's going to keep going, you know, moving up to a better spot. And I think he's going to get taken in that second round. And they may, it may be a situation where it's going to be a draft and stash for a year. That could be. Um, again, the fact that he came back here, uh, you know, which I wasn't sure if he was going to or not, uh, to me, it was a pleasant surprise. And, uh, you know, we're happy to have him here. Um, I think, yeah, I think he's, I think he could be a great asset to an NBA team. Again, also raised extremely well, comes from a good family, um, good people. And uh, it's just a good kid all, all around kid. I, I think his his flash and, and flair, I'll say, would do well at the Garden. Um, last one before I get you out of here. Amari Stoudemire, you mentioned him a couple times. Um, I think most most Nick fans think of him very, very fondly because, you know, as everybody who follows basketball knows, there have not been exactly many people who have been knocking down the door of MSG to come play here over the last 20 years. He was the first one to do it. Um, and look, they gave him the big contract and everything, but I think he, there's a, people have a soft spot for him. I think people, you know, even though he was injured most of those years, you know, people still think of that time fondly. Um, what has it been like covering him? What, what, you know, can you give me a little bit of like, what is, what is late career Amari Stoudemire like these days? So Amari, Amari's been great. Uh, and I've been fortunate to literally cover him from the first time he visited the Holy Land back in 2010. Oh, wow. Literally. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he came on just a private trip. And at the time, I had myself and a couple partners had started an internet radio station, which lasted for a year called Israel Sports Radio. And we actually tracked him down and we got to interview him for like five minutes on the phone, which was great. And then, of course, a couple of years later, he bought a stake into a pole Jerusalem, which is uh, one of the better teams here in Israel. Uh, then he came to play for a season. And it was just like, you know, dream come true to be able to, you know, to be able to see him progress, uh, you know, not only as a basketball player, but also as a person here in Israel. And, you know, the people, you know, just amazed here you have this guy that was a six time NBA all star that's just walking around the streets of Jerusalem and, you know, always stopped to take fans came out to take pictures, stopped to take the pictures with them, always had a good word. You'd see him in the cafes on one of the main drags here in Jerusalem many oh, times. Wow. Uh, yeah, he was just he was just very accessible, a lot of fun to be around. He, then he came, then he went back to the states and he came back to play another year in Jerusalem. And again, he you know had a great time. He played extremely well both of those seasons. He also played in Europe. So when he played in in European you know the in the European games. Fans from all these other countries, if it was Russia or Italy or Greece, you know, they packed the arena to go see Amari Stoudemire player play. And he was still, you know, pretty much scoring 18 points and pulling down eight, nine rebounds. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
and he was dominating. He was just very dominant. He's he was still a very dominant figure in the paint. He slimmed down his. Uh, I mean, his he is much. He is in much. He was in much better shape than his playing career. He had no injuries. He was never hurt. Now we know, obviously, he had some knee issues at the you know near the tail end of his NBA career. And then this year, he started the season off in China, and uh, he was offered to. He wanted to come back to Jerusalem, and even though he was a part owner, and they said, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. We have our roster set. So who did he <laughs> sign with? Because there are rivals. Maccabi Tel Aviv sign him, and uh, he was the MVP of the championship, right? And he helped help He went out as an MVP. Uh, of the championship, and now he's back in Florida right now, and we'll have to see if he's going to end up coming back to Israel or not. Uh, we'll have to see, but he was just—he's just been a pleasure to be around. I mean, I have—I've been lucky enough to have a personal relationship with him. Um, it's just amazing. It's really amazing to, you know, to just be around him. It's—he's a special person. He's a special person. He's grown spiritually. I don't know if your fans know this, but he went through an Orthodox Jewish conversion. Uh, I do, just, yeah. Just, I, I think the dedicated ones should do yeah. remember that. You know, last last month he went through that, and it, it required a lot of things. He had to cut off the dreadlocks. Uh, he had to, you know, he has to keep the Sabbath. There's a lot of different, you know, rules and regulations. He learns uh, the Bible uh, much more than I, I do, probably. <laughs> and I'm the sports rabbi, uh, but it's just fun, you know. Like he, cha- you know, he has a Hebrew name, Yehoshaphat. Uh, but I still, I still can't call him that. I still call him, how you doing, Amari? Um, he's just, he's just fun to be with. I mean, he was just a great person, just a great, great person, both on and off the court. And he cared. I mean, he really, really cared. He would tell the referees off if there was a foul. He used to take off his goggles and point them to the referee and say, you know, you, you need glasses. And this, that. <laughs> he's just He's just a ball. I think he really, you know, the time here in Israel just really did him uh, just a world of good. Uh, That's good. Just a well-rounded person. And, and his uh, son Amari Jr. was with him here also all throughout the coronavirus. He was here during the break. Uh, so he got to see his father, you know, lift the championship trophy. I mean, he saw him do that in Jerusalem, but he was much younger. Now he's about 13, 14 years old. And, you know, he was at the games. He was able to hang out and, you know. It's a, it's very special for a kid, uh, you know, child that age to be able to, you know, see his father dominate, not a role player coming off the bench, but we're talking about a guy that played, you know, 20 something minutes and was dominant. That's, that's, that's good because his, you know, and look, I mean, it's not what happened to his knees. I, I don't know how much of it is, uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni's fault for playing him, whatever it was, 30 five, six, seven minutes a night over those first games he was here in, uh, in New York. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great what if, um, but it, it, what's undoubted is that, uh, it's it, good for him. Cause he does, he always struck me as a nice guy and clearly that's, that's the case. And to see that he's growing and, and, uh, doing well over there is, is nice to hear. Um, Josh, I can't thank you enough for the time. I think this was great, uh, really. And uh, I, I look forward to this not being the last time we talk. I'm sure there's going to be prospects. You know, I mean, look, it's an international sport more than ever before. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be some more every year. Um, but before I get you out of here, can you just say one more time where the folks at home could find your uh, your stuff? Well, I'll give you a hot tip before I even do that. Oh, please. If, fan, if, you, if your fans want to see the next great Israeli player. Uh, they do. His name is... His name is Noam Dovrat, D-O-V-R-A-T. He plays for Maccabi Rishon Lezion. He's about 6'5", point guard, 
big frame. He looks like he's already like 25 years old. He will be the next player that's going to, that is already on the draft watch. I can tell you some teams already went to see him play this past season, uh, oh, including okay. the Orlando Magic, the Celtics. They were already watching him as a 16 and 17 year old this year. So that is the player that uh, is the next guy that you got to keep your eyes out coming out of Israel's is Noam Dovrat, and just also a, a phenomenal talent and we're going to get to see him play a lot more this year so looking forward to that you can find me at the sports rabbi on twitter sportsrabbi.com facebook instagram make sure you subscribe to my show as well i put out a podcast or two a week really about israeli basketball and european basketball as well lots of fun stuff and uh Shoot me, a, you know, shoot me a message at the Sports Rabbi on Twitter. I'll be happy to happy to answer you if you have any questions. You're a great follow. Um, I again appreciate the time, and uh, this was great. And we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, that was a lot of fun. Got a lot of information, a lot of good stuff. Like I said, I hope to do a couple more of these episodes at least between now and the draft on some of the other prospects. Um, listen. If there is a particular draft prospect that you are interested in, um, even if it's someone that, you know, is late first round, early second round, and you just think it would be worth it for me to uh, find someone to try to shed some more light on that person. Or, hey, if you know someone who is good uh, and could shed some light on a draft prospect that the Knicks might be interested in, um, either of those scenarios, feel free to reach out to me. You know where to find me on Twitter. Um or you can always uh, shoot an email to uh, kfsmailbag at gmail.com. And yeah, that's all I got. Thanks for listening to another episode, and we will be back with you very soon. Giddy up. Giddy up.